One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that leverages music's power to revive memories and stories from our lives as a means of getting to know our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Amy Ginsberg. Amy is executive director of the Southwest Florida Symphony. It's a fully professional orchestra that's based at the Barbara B. Mann Performing Arts Hall in Fort Myers. Born in Philadelphia, Amy moved to Southwest Florida with her family at the beginning of middle school. She graduated from Fort Myers High School and attended Edison Community College and University of South Florida as a fine arts major. She then attended the Gemological Institute of America. As a cello student beginning in third grade, Amy envisioned life as a professional musician, but her passion and talent for visual art led her to pursue a career in jewelry design and manufacture. She then co-owned and operated a marketing and media production company called Wadi World Productions before beginning her career with the Southwest Florida Symphony in 2013. She's been executive director since 2016. Amy says she's an almost empty nester with a 28-year-old son who lives in Seattle and a multi-talented 17-year-old daughter who, among many gifts, is a classically trained award-winning opera singer. She says the only baby remaining in her nest will be her trap neuter but not released 14 year old cat named petunia hey there amy how are you i'm doing well thank you for making it over thank you for uh, jumping through the hoops with us because we've had to do a little bit of rescheduling no that's fine it's uh that's par for the course in what we both do so um did we go to high school together maybe where where i went to Fort Myers high school i moved here from kansas city in 1980 Oh my As God! I moved here from I know, Philly in I 1980. Saw that. Wow! So yeah, I went to Fort. I went to um, Orangewood Villas, Fort Myers Middle, Fort Myers High, and then even Edison College for a while. I spent the beginning of my time here in the Cape. I went to uh, Cape, no Gulf Elementary, Gulf Middle. No, I'm sorry. I take that back. Pelican Elementary because Gulf none of the Gulf schools were built yet. Pelican Elementary, Gulf Middle. My freshman year at Cape Coral High School, um, I bounced to Fort Myers High um, at the beginning of my sophomore year, and then yeah, I did some. I did some. What time year did you graduate high school? Eighty-eight. So we did go. To we school did together. go to high oh school gosh. together. Yeah, <laughs> I graduated in ninety, so there would have been at least one overlap year. My yeah. brother was Joe Canary. He was in eighty-eight. I he was that friends with ring- like. Um, 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 What's his name? Robert Stacy. I mean, did you know Robert Stacy? He that, was a nerd. My brother was like the smartest kid in the school. So, so which yeah, and I was hanging out with all the troublemaking musicians. Okay, so. well, there's our trip down memory lane. Right. <laughs> so, what were you listening to in the car on the way here? Oh my gosh! I mean, full disclosure, I often drive in silence. Um, I feel like. I, I kind of don't understand how people listen to music it like in the background. I it's when I listen, it's very intentional and it requires so much focus. I never would have made it here. Seriously, I either would have had to pull over and cry, or I would have it would have led me down some rabbit hole where I'm like, this is oh, this, I'm looking for for a repertoire like this, and so I just get on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, it's so you drive in silence. A lot of times, I do drive in silence. What yeah. about talk radio? I do listen to uh, NPR. Okay. Yeah. How often do you listen to classical music in a way that's not work related? 
oh, well, everything I do in one way, shape, or form is work-related. So never. (laughs) So almost never. I mean, it's either something we've performed or has significant memory to me. Like my, my, I grew up uh, with my dad taking me to the Philadelphia Orchestra with him, and that's really how, I mean, from infancy, I mean, from my earliest memories, classical music was uh, a regular part of my life. So um, it's either bringing a memory in or something meaningful from the classical music world into my current life, which is my work, um, or listening to repertoire that's under consideration or something we recently performed so that I could hear it by another orchestra and honestly compare performances um, or experience how another conductor led it. But it's almost always – no, not almost always. It is always in the context of work because my – my that I'm a workaholic. It's a terrible affliction, but <laughs> there's really no separation between me, my personal life, and my professional life. It's music, and music is a part of everybody's lives, but just more so mine. <laughs> what is the earliest musical memory you can recall if you try to dig as far back as you can? Um, my dad had a study in the house, and I remember he had like this little floor couch and walls lined with books and he had a reel-to-reel recorder over the the French doors that led into the study and I remember him playing Furelise by Beethoven. So yeah, I mean classical memory classical music memories go back that far. Um was there music being played on instruments around the house around you? My mother played piano as a hobby. Um, and again, I just might, it was all, like music was never just listening to music. There was like always a history lesson associated. And so and my dad never talked to me like a little kid. I was, he was, uh, uh, he's a, a political science professor. Um, and so he even would take me to school with him when he was teaching and involve me in class discussion and ask me questions. I was an elementary school student, so no deer in headlights <laughs> or anything. But um, it was always uh, listening to, uh, I mean, I and I remember him giving me his political opinions like on um, when we would listen to Wagner and we weren't supposed to because we were Jewish and here was why. And um, listening to uh, – well, he, he was a huge Beethoven fan. I ultimately ended up really loving Bach just because there's so much fantastic cello repertoire and it's like so precise. It's great. Was cello your first instrument? Is no. cello your only instrument? What no. was your first instrument? My first instrument was piano. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and But it was one of those things where – and this is just – that's how parents do it. They had a beautiful piano. We had a – this is going to sound so pretentious. So we had a music room in the house as well. It was like a formal living room with a piano in it. And so I, of course, was told I was going to take piano lessons. And it seemed like a cool idea at the time. But then when you have to like practice all the time and your parents are like threatening your life because we're paying good money for piano we've lessons. We've got a music room. And you get in there and you play. And then like being forced to sit there until I finally practiced what, no matter how bad I was crying. And so finally my mother was like, forget it. I give up. Um, and then we were offered um, beginning strings in elementary school. And um, so I picked up the violin along with 
all the other kids who, you know, of course, you know, third graders, when they, they're offered a string instrument, the thing that immediately pops into their head is violin. And it the the string teacher, Miss Kurtzenabe, was like, you, sh- you, you all want to play this? So I was like, all right, I'll try something else. And honestly, the cello just like felt natural. It felt easier. Um, there was just so much contortion with violin. Um, and it seemed harder for me well, for pretty much everybody in the class at the time, um, but to make a pleasant sound come out of it. And cello, again, it just felt like it fit. And it's funny because even my daughter who started um, on trumpet, she said that 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 instrument chose her. So it's weird how that kind of happens. So, yeah, that my my mom sort of kind of played piano. My dad my dad played the accordion. Sorry, Dad. I'm so glad he can't hear. This. I think this is the third show in a row that the accordion has come up. We're on a, an accordion run. Seriously, right now. it's yeah. got to be like something with '70s parents. Because I mean, who plays the accordion? Um, did you ever try to play it? Mm-mm. No. No, it's that's. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with the accordion? I got no hate for the accordion. No, it's that. It's. <sighs> I can't believe my dad played it. He's cooler than that. I, sorry, no offense to accordion players, but I, no, I never did try it. Um, if you could learn an instrument instantly without trying right now, what would you choose? I would go right back to cello, and if I could get that muscle memory and skill level back from when I was in middle and high school, because I got really good really fast. And I think the, the that's really the key to um, – to encouraging a kid to practice is if it's if it comes naturally and it sounds decent pretty easily then you're inspired to keep making that sound and so i there isn't another instrument i would care to learn i wish i could travel back in time and get that muscle memory and skill level back and keep playing i do miss it you know you got some cellos around you in your world which is when exactly, was the last time you mm. put a bow across a cello string um, during the pandemic, like the throes of it, when I was trapped in my house and I sounded horrible. So it's – and right. So I'm around professional musicians who stuck with it and kept practicing. And so to listen to them and then go home and hear how mm-hmm. much I've regressed is the opposite of inspiring. Was there music being played around your house besides classical music when you were a kid? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so my dad was a huge Beach Boys fan, so we listened to that a lot. And then we had um, a finished basement with a closet that was just floor-to-ceiling albums, records. So um, I'd go through and pull stuff out if the artwork looked interesting. And so my dad had – he was a Beatles fan and Led Zeppelin and Cream and – there was a little bit – it's so funny because my parents who have been divorced forever and ever um, were polar opposites. And my mom liked uh, more uh, mainstream like disco and radio pop and uh, my my dad liked the B-side deeper cuts. And once again, it was never just about listening to something. It was a study. It was a time and place in history and his opinions on the personalities of the people who made the music. And so they they it personified what I was listening to, paints huh. this picture of, you know, and and to some extent defines who you are. Do I want to align with this sound and the people who made it? 
It's really interesting. Um, it's time for your first song. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> We're going to start with the lullaby. Okay. What's the story? Or would you like to listen to it? How would you like to proceed? I better tell the story first because if I listen to it, I'm so glad you have tissues in here. <laughs> <laughs> They're not just ornamental tissues. Good, They're yeah. functional tissues. Oh, good. So, yeah, what's the story? So um, when I was expecting my son, Ian, who is now 28, um, wow, maybe we should listen to it because I'm going to cry anyway. Um, somebody gave me this CD, and I, I wrote it incorrectly. It was uh, – for our children, not for the children. And it was a compilation CD of lesser-known uh, lullabies and children's music. Not all lullabies. Some of it was actually really funny. Um, but there was one song that jumped out at me, the Garten Mother's Lullaby, that um, Meryl Streep sang. And this is a song from the early, very early 1900s um, that was originally a poem and then was set to music. Um, but I listened to it and – I. Frankly, and my kids know this, so even if they listen to it, they're, they won't be upset by it. I didn't want kids. And then I heard this, and I'm carrying this baby, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I can do this. And that song, like, kind of made it okay. I was like, it, it's um, – and I can't even really define why because I didn't do the research my dad would have expected me to do on the tune. It was just um, – I don't know. There was just something about it that was like – yeah, this this kid will live to adulthood. I can do this. <laughs> so you were listening to it before he was born. Mm-hmm. Someone gave it to me a baby shower. Were you listening to it after he was born with him? Yeah, we would listen to it. But more than I would listen to it, I memorized it through hearing it so frequently and would sing it to him. And it sort of became an anthem for my both my children's babyhoods um, uh, to the extent that I might not still be able to get away with singing it to my daughter. She's 17, but I would say up until her freshman year of high school, um, if things really had gone sideways for her um, and I would hug her, you know, or comfort her and she'd say, okay, can you sing me the cricket song? Shall we listen to the cricket song? Sure. Um, This is Garten. Mother's Lullaby by Herbert Hughes, performed here by Glenn Close off the compilation CD For Our Children. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> so where uh, where were you going? I was envisioning like, you know, like a like a, like the montage in the middle of a movie where it cuts through all the different times and places and was that what you were doing in your head as you were listening to that and your you know moments yep. with your kids? Well, so the last time other than this, I really, really – oh, sorry – that I really, really listened to that was um, when Ian graduated from University of Central Florida, came home for a month, and I don't – I knew he was moving away. I knew he was um, – he had big plans to move to Seattle. And this – gosh, that – since seventh grade, that's all I heard about. I'm going to move to Seattle. I'm going to sign video games. And – I didn't think he was really going to do it. So he came home for a month, hung out with the baby. The baby should kill me. With with Juliana and um, packed up as much of his stuff as he could. And um, we, Juliana and I took him to the airport. And I went home and sat on his bed and listened. And I was like, what am I going to do? 
what am I going to do? And now I got one more and I, how do I like make the days last longer with, with the only other baby? This is from a person who was like, kids are a pain. And, um, yeah, but I, I listened to that sitting on his bed in his room, um, trying to find the comfort I found in it before he was born. And, um, yeah, I, I don't listen to that very often anymore because of that. I, yeah. <laughs> so that was the first time you listened to it since then? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think so. I mean, I'm sure I've sung it to Juliana since, but, like, actually listening to the recording, yeah. It's like time travel. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Your kids know the words to that song then, presumably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, they do. Uh, Juliana ever sung it? No. She's a singer. She is you know, a singer. She, could, she should sing it. She, wow, yes. No, she I'm she a producer. Has... <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yes, she she has never sung that to me. Just all I, uh, you know, she's asked for me to sing it to her, and I'm not nearly as good as she is. I sang in a band and I played some guitar too, but she's the real deal. And so, if anyone should sing it, you're right; it should be her. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that oh, personal sorry. thing with us. No, that's why we're here. Uh, some days anyway. Um, so, okay. So you went to Fort Myers High School for the last couple of years of your thing. How would you characterize, you know, the scene musically at Fort Myers High School when you were there? Because I was kind of there too. Yeah, you were kind of <laughs> there too. So let's see if, if, our, um, if our stories jibe. They, uh, people... Once again, I think especially when you're growing up are defined by what you listen to to a large extent. I mean, less so the jocks. I didn't really I didn't hang out with the jocks or the you were in the band. I was in uh, orchestra. I was in the chorus there. um, And God, I was still playing cello, but I was uh, on again, off again, working with. My, the original uh, music teacher I had here, Carl Dayhoff, who I lost track of in my 20s, I think he moved back to West Virginia. Um, I mean, he was – if you're still living, Mr. Dayhoff, please forgive me. But he was old when I met him. Um, you know, I studied with him at uh, in the Cape. Um, but, of course, when I moved to Fort Myers High – um, you know, you, you grow an attachment to a teacher. And so that's I, – I, I didn't play in the orchestra at, at Fort Myers High. I was involved in the chorus and um, there was – there were a couple of vocal ensembles and so I involved myself with that. And then I was – I kind of did what Juliana did. You know, she went from trumpet to opera to – now she's in a rock band called Widows um, and – the, I'm going to throw a shameless plug in here. She's playing on Saturday at um, Battle of the Arts at the Bell Tower. Um, but I, I kind of did the same thing. I was like – I decided to be a teenager and mess around with rock and roll. So what was the primary musical vibe for you? What were you listening to? Punk. Yeah? <laughs> yes. Sex Pistols. I wasn't nearly cool enough for that. Oh, I well, I wouldn't have been, but it got introduced to me by the – crowd I hung out with. And it's weird because we were it the it was kind of groups of kids from different schools who um again were defined by what we listened to. So we we were just what I guess would be called the goth kids now. 
Um, you have the whole thing going? I had most of the whole thing going. I didn't do <laughs> like I didn't do the the black hair and the black lipstick, but I had my own unique I I was weird in my own way and fit into that weird. Um and and right, we chose our own uh, anthems for that period in our lives too. And there was just I God it was so hard to choose these songs, period, because I am defined by the by music. And so – and I'm too old to only pick three songs because I've been <laughs> around for such a long time. Um, but, yeah, it was a, a punk and um, British New Wave. I mean, there was like Susie and the Banshees and The Cure and what else? And then I had my my heavy metal friends, and so there was Queensryche and Dokken and, um, gosh, what else? Rat. Uh, yeah, I mean, like now I'm I'm picturing. Just I how was not in the my hair sa- was. I was not in the same social circles as you. Okay. <laughs> I I played golf. Oh, good for you. I uh, I played basketball, but I wasn't that good. Hey, Mike, I, yes, Mike, Richard. Remind me who is the um, the music writer, uh, like the the music critic that we had, um, who was very buttoned down. Charles Reynolds. Yeah, this is a very Charles Reynolds moment for me. Like he he was talking about like Megadeth and um, Slayer, and he just doesn't. He he, he looks like John Hodgman. One does not strike him. Yeah. No, but he's he's also man. You want to talk about encyclopedic knowledge of music? He puts, and I don't claim to know everything, but he's he just that's it. He's a savant when it comes to music knowledge. I he also almost died in the mosh pit. He almost died in the mosh <laughs> yeah. pit. I, uh, yeah, so I played golf, basketball, and I was stuck on like 50s music when I was uh, like a junior and senior in high school. Like, really? I, yeah, I was I was my own kind of weird too. No, but you're supposed to be. <laughs> if you're going to be weird, be it in high school when you can get away with it. So uh, at that point in your life, what did you see your trajectory as? What did you like want to be when you grew up? I don't know. I really don't know. I couldn't figure it out. I I knew at that point that I mean I'd already strayed enough from classical music and the cello that I knew I wasn't going to be um, good enough to do that. And uh, this is a really personal story, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. But I had an opportunity for an interview and an audition at Curtis, which is a prestigious music school in Philadelphia, which didn't pan out so at that point I was like I just I checked out of classical music just it wasn't going to happen for me um I also have a an aptitude for visual art so I didn't know I mean through the tail end of high school I was like designing clothing and um yeah, so just something in the arts, but I didn't know what. And um, again, my parents split up. My dad was up north. My mom made me stay here. And um, I kept hearing about, you know, the term starving artist got thrown around a lot. And you better figure out what you want to be when you grow up because you can't make a living doing the stuff you like. And, ha, huh, yes, you can. Because, yes, well, I Well, <laughs> there, was, there was a long arc before. Yeah. Oh, no. no. No, but there wasn't. Well, I but, mean, yeah, well, let me throw out the word. Gemology. Let's go to gemology. Yeah. So that's um, – which is a, a 
it was less about gemology and more about metalsmithing. And that's really so um, I was my mother and stepfather had a jewelry store and, um, you know, I worked there on weekends, whatever. And I started watching my stepfather at the jeweler's bench. And I was like, I could try that. I could do that. And so I kind of went back and forth between whether or not it was I enjoyed the work. I didn't like working for family. That was terrible. Um, but I eventually got really good at that. I'm wearing something I made today. This is um, Imperial Topaz and Marquee Diamond, and I handmade everything there. So that, yeah, I mean, so it was visual art. Um, and uh, I knew that I needed to have some kind of formal training um, so besides apprenticing. So I pursued Gemological Institute of America, um, didn't really do anything with the gemology education. It was really just all about working with my hands and being a visual artist. And I did that quite successfully through my 20s. I was featured in um, Gulf Shore Life magazine uh, for some of the, the work I did. Um, Cape Coral or the Lee County Library System started uh, putting art on display in their libraries. And so uh, Cape Coral Library invited me as one of the inaugural artists to display the work I made um, along with – oh, my gosh. I, I'm really glad you can edit this um, – the, oh, we're not editing this. No, the Japanese <laughs> artist, the local Japanese, because I met him Iki. and I was, <gasps> Iki Matsumoto. Yeah. And I met him and he was, a, his work was there with my work. And I was just, ah, like, I, <laughs> what? No, he should be here by himself. I, that was, and but I will also tell you that I, even though I pursued a field that my mother and stepfather were in um, and I was invited to do this, they're like, why? Why are you going to bother? And I was like, because I'm good at it and it's fun and people will see what I've made and that's a big deal. But they didn't see the value in putting my talent on on display. Hmm. Yeah. I uh, I own a jewelry store. What? Yeah, Jared. Never heard of <laughs> what? it. What? <laughs> Stop it's it. Jared. No, I don't actually own it. That's a, that's Jared's a joke. Jared's such an old soul. He could do ja- dad jokes even though he's oh, only 21. Oh, my God. <laughs> you really nailed it. Oh, my. You got her, dude. You did get me. I'm like, you own a do- what? I wish. I wish one day when I'm really old, you know, when I'm, I'm really gonna like your age lady, Jared and be like, hey, I own this. I'm the one who named the store. Yeah, I'm, one me. day I'm going to do me, that. It's me, Jared. Yeah, yeah it's, it's me. It's me, Jared. God. <laughs> So uh, you did you work at their jewelry store? Did you work where did you so work? So I worked for them for a while. Um and then left. I was a contractor for Zale Corp, so I did their repair work and did they didn't do a lot with custom design. Um but uh, modifications I want, you know, to add birthstones to this or whatever. Um, and then I did some uh, – I, I made things for the Silver Witch on Fort Myers Beach. I did work for Cedar Chest on Sanibel, which I think is gone now. Um, I did work for – I was a contract um, repair person for uh, J.C. Penney stores locally. Um, yeah, I mean, I did. I, I still have a jeweler's bench and a propane torch in my garage, and it is everything's just covered in like spider webs and garage disgustingness. So I, I haven't touched any, but that I will go back to. Would you be easy? Would it be easier for you to go back to that or cello? To probably metalsmithing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because wow, I don't know. There's just some. 
emotional, I, I can't put my finger on it. Um, so when, and I've done this before, when you're making something and it's not turning around, out the way you expected, um, you melt it down and you start over. You can't melt down a sound you make. I don't know how else to put it. I'm too afraid of not being excellent at music and less afraid of not being excellent at art. And I don't know why. That's really deep. (laughs) (laughs) You can send me a bill for the therapy. (laughs) No, it's interesting, though. That's a really interesting way to look at it because, you know, the one, it's kind of like you have a control Z with the making of jewelry, meaning you can go back like on your computer. And then, um, but with music, it's like you set it free and it's out there. Mm -hmm. Although when you do it by yourself, then you kind of have it. Oh, my God. But it's so, it doesn't matter. It's just embarrassing. I don't know how to put it, but to listen to myself play, it's all, I'm just disappointed in myself that I let myself, it's, I've used this, this analogy before. It's as if, like if a supermodel or a Miss America just really let herself go and you know what it takes to get back to where you were, it's like, how could you let that happen? And I, I just, yeah, I don't know I how s- else to define it. I see it, it as like, if you're unless you're playing a certain piece that you know it's supposed to be played a certain way if you're just playing whatever you're playing only you know that you're making a mistake you know like whoever's listening they'll just be hearing what you play and they'll be like oh okay that's part of the of the piece or the song that you're playing okay cool uh, you know for for music wise you know well but there's also a <laughs> well, pleasant <but>. sound versus <laughs> an unpleasant sound and so it's not just about playing the piece uh, most people know <laughs> if something's being played badly. Actually, I have a, actually, I have a question about this, Amy. Um, uh. I'd love to hear your input on this. Um, kind of to, less to what you, you were talking about with playing correctly and, and to kind of something Jared stumbled on there. What do you think about the idea, the, maybe the criticism that classical um, has become somewhat of a museum? And that, you know, in in its time, a lot of those pieces would have been played differently from performance to performance but now, like, God forbid a measure be different than the one that we know. Uh, so I'm not sure I understand. Um, it's my understanding. Correct me, please, if I'm wrong. But it's my understanding that sometimes um, you might get different performances of the same piece um, contemporarily. But that now we have, like, a fixed version. Like, this is how that piece goes exactly. Kind of like, um, you know how, like, a rock band... There's an album solo that everyone knows, mm-hmm. but at the concert, they don't play that solo. They play like some other variant of it. And over time, that stops happening because they don't play live anymore because they're gone. Right. So the version that everybody says is the way to do it is this way. Yeah. Do, um. I mean, there. So it's interesting. We, we had this argument um, when heated discussion <laughs> when we when I introduced some of the musicians in our orchestra to um, my discovery of these um, fusion concerts that we started doing they were there were a handful of them at my house we were having a post-concert party and I had discovered Steve Hackman and all the stuff he did and Andrew Lipke and the stuff he did on YouTube and so I played it for some of the musicians there and they looked at me like how dare yeah. you heresy and i was like but here's the deal nobody painted a mustache on the mona lisa 
it's an interpretation. Mm. This is where, you know, I, there is definitely value to performing something, delivering it the way it was written and the way the composer intended. And the the nearest way we can tell is by what's on a page. But um, interpretations of classical music or hearing similarities most importantly, hearing similarities between it and contemporary music and thereby making it relevant to audiences that feel like classical music doesn't have a place in their lives. Um, that, Yeah, it's like you can't get offended by somebody interpreting or putting a spin on a piece. It doesn't, it doesn't make the original piece less valuable or, in, or non-existent. Or maybe otherwise, why not just play a CD? Oh no! Right? There's... No, that's no. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if, if you want, if you want identical every time, then yeah. Then... Exactly. <laughs> that's not that. That absolutely defeats the purpose of live music. And and you know, I'm jumping down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but that was my argument through the pandemic. Oh, why don't we stream? <clears throat> Excuse me. Why don't we stream? Why don't we put stuff on YouTube? Because we're not. We don't do this for the purpose of recording. We do this because people get to be in the room with the greatness. And if you're not in the room with it, why bother? Let me ask this question to maybe crystallize that uh, whole arc. If Name a famous classical music piece that we would recognize. Well, everybody recognizes, recognizes Beethoven 5. If <clears throat> 10 different symphonies played Beethoven 5 and you line them up all next to each other, how similar would they be? Oh, no, they wouldn't. I mean, there would be... That's what I was wondering. Yeah. There would be differences in skill level, differences in... Well, if they the were all... They... If, take skill level out. Like, how much interpretation is there in terms of, you know, the conductor, the music director putting their own feel on it? The notes on the page are the same. It is how... It's the delivery. So it's... It's a director, so you know the the words on the page of a script are the same, but who's directing it determines. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it is time for your second song. All right. Which is not classical music. Nope. What is it? My second song. Oh my gosh! So my second song is "Swim" by Surfer Blood, and I kind of can't wait to send all of this to uh, the people who made this seem like it should be part of my three song stories. Um, I think I've clearly established my love for live music of all kinds. So um, pretty recently, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, uh, Nice Guys, which is a pretty regular haunt of mine, um, started doing live music since they moved into their new space. And um, I was really surprised that they got surfer blood here because they're, I mean, they're not huge celebrities, but they're kind of a big deal. And um, so I bought a ticket to go see them. Um, Juliana, who's still around, uh, was working that night, so she wasn't able to go with me. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. So I went, and it was people decades younger than me and me. And I, you know, just kind of wanted to stay out of the way, but I wanted to check out the band. So I found kind of a high top off to the side. And you just kind of, you know how like you're in a room and you get a vibe that somebody's like staring at you and you look over. Well, lo and behold, so I turn around and this absolutely drop dead gorgeous, tall, thin, uh, with a big smile, blonde woman kind of waves at me. And she's got this, well, by my age, uh, little girl with her in her probably late 20s. And um, so I turn around and I walk over and um, 
I said, so are, I was kind of confused about why this woman was here. She introduced herself, Jill Switzer, and this is my daughter, Lindsay. She's the bassist in Surfer Blood. And I'm like, what? So, um, yeah, I basically spent the evening with Jill. Um, she's also a musician, um, a singer. She and her husband uh, perform like jazz standards and um, big band stuff in uh, in Palm Beach. And um, Jill was talking about what it was like being on the road with a band. And I, I don't want to out secrets. But anyway, she shared stuff that I was honored she shared with me. Um, and uh, yeah, so the and the reason I went was there, you know, the the tune I know uh, that that popped out of my head was "Swim." So that's um, anyway. Oh, I'm, I'm again. I'm like all over the place. Uh, they're getting ready to hit the stage, and I text Juliana, and I'm like, as soon as you're done at work, you need to get over here because we got to have like a mommy daughter night. Uh, what? I said, no, you don't understand. I met the bass player from Surfer Blood and her mama's here. And so we can hang out with her and her mama. And so, again, bringing back memories of like, oh, we can have mommy-daughter tea party. Now it's mommy-daughter surfer punk. (laughs) So so Juliana finished her shift. She comes over. I introduced them. We hung out with them probably a good hour and a half after the show. Um, And Juliana and Lindsay got to chat. And uh, I I was so appreciative of Lindsay's sharing of her wisdom with Juliana, who, again, is now in a rock and roll band and is experiencing some of that drama that they were talking about. And, uh, yeah, so it was just a really cool, in every sense of the word, mommy-daughter evening. (laughs) And it was a surfer blood evening at Nice Guys Pizza in Cape Coral. Yeah, right. Go figure. (laughs) Um, Well, I don't know this song, so I'm going to get to hear it for the first time. I don't know Surfer Blood. I just like saying Surfer Blood. Um, You want to listen to it? Yeah. Okay, this is Swim by Surfer Blood off their 2010 album Astro Coast. It's Amy Ginsberg's second song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. How old was the bass player? Um, I, You know, I know her mom told me and I don't remember, but I think like early 30s. Okay. So <clears throat> mom normally travels with the band or? <laughs> no. she And it's funny. Mom lives I'm, in Cape Coral and they were here? No. Or? Mom lives in Palm Beach and drove over because okay. they had a gig here. Um, and it's funny because that was kind of how we kicked off the conversation. I was like, oh, my God, wait till I tell my daughter that, see, moms do travel with the band. So I can totally go on the road with her. When she, she was like, no, I wish I could. But I, you know, I happen to be in the state. And so I wanted to come over and, and see this gig because this I believe it was the second to last night of the tour. So they did one more. Um, gosh, was it Orlando? Lakeland, I don't know. It was uh, it was kind of a ways from here, but um, it was closer for her mom to hit us than it was the last night of the tour. Do you listen to a lot of Surfer Blood? No, I no. don't. No, I mean, and frankly, I found them on jumping through down one of those rabbit holes, uh, listening to. I think I might have been listening to Weezer, and I was like, uh, you know, and it sort of leads you to other stuff. And I there's a little bit of because it's Surfer, it. it the name and then just hearing some of the guitar riffs and that really uh, wet live sound uh, is loosely reminiscent of Beach Boys, which, of course, you know. So, um, no, but I don't listen to a lot of them. Um, But it's a cool sound and it was a fun show. And what I picture is 
just gushing about my daughter and, oh, you have to meet her, you have to meet her, and seeing this tiny little pixie with pink hair walk in and go, you guys, look, she's here. (laughs) Her band, compare it in any way to Surfer Blood. Juliana's band? Yeah, what what do they play? Are they anything like that? Uh, Except for the fact that they all dress weird. No, probably not. Um, No, and actually that's not fair. The, The Surfer Blood Kids, and I will call them kids, dress less weird than Juliana's band. Um, they are primarily original music. Um, they they cover, uh, right? Do they cover Smashing Pumpkins? They cover, oh, wow. That's terrible. I'm super drawing a blank. I mean, most of what they do is, is original, and it's got kind of... Um, these kids all did uh, like jazz band in high school and stuff. So it's the, you know, it's sophisticated um, rhythm and um, not really chord change or key changes, but um, some complicated. It's it's like interesting to listen to. Gosh, I'm trying to think of who I can. Can I text her? Of course. Because now I'm trying to remember, like, who else do you guys cover? Or can I, better yet, can I call her? Sure. We can okay. put her on. And, and, oh, my gosh, my communications manager says, take a selfie if you're still at WCC. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will. Hold on. I'm calling my daughter. She better answer. Give me one second. She's going to be mad. So I'm on the radio right now. And, I mean, not live, but I'm doing the um, three song stories. And I'm trying to remember who you cover tunes by because I am talking about you. Oh, that's right. Cage the Elephant. They do cover Led Zeppelin. Which Cage songs do they cover? I need Which to know. Cage song do you cover? Because it's only Can one. Can we put her on speaker? Yeah. Oh, we're, I'm putting you on speaker. Okay. Take It or Leave It by Cage the Elephant. <sighs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Saturday at the Bell Tower. We do a lot of Smashing Pumpkins. We love Smashing Pumpkins. You could do 1979 by Smashing Pumpkins. And you guys don't do Paint It Black by Zeppelin. No, uh, yeah. We've done or that's Paint the it Stones. Black once. Yeah. That's a Stone song, ma'am. <laughs> yes, that's the Stones. Forgive. Sorry. Yeah, and you did do Paint It Black once. That's right. And then what were the Zeppelin tunes? Um, The Ocean is like the one that we've always done. Okay. Yeah. I don't, it wasn't Paint It Black. It was Black Dog. That's what I was thinking. You guys have not done that. We did Black Dog once as well. Wow. Rock and roll. I missed that. Um, And then how would you define the style of your band? Like, who do you resemble? Um, oh, I, I really couldn't tell you. I don't know. What would you say? Because I feel like it's easier to pinpoint that when you listen to it. No, but I've, I have said, you know, Pumpkins or um, I, I think I even, I might have said Weezer at one point. You were like, we don't sound like Weezer. We do not sound like Weezer. See. So they they defy description. They yeah, and but it is largely original music, really well written, lyrically interesting. Pink hair girls is awesome. That's that's a tune they they wrote. That's one of my favorites. Um, what's the oh letters to a witch? That's really good. Yeah, they're um. They're worth checking out. That's- well, well, all right. Well, thank you for checking in. We appreciate it. Thanks, you need to Jake, sing. Uh, you need to sing Garten's song "Lullaby," whatever it is. Yeah, you have to sing the cricket <laughs> song for me. We that was one of the songs I used. So don't okay. hate. It. All right, baby. I will talk to you soon. Thank you.
I yeah, of course. I love you. Love you too, Bunny. Bye. Bye. Oh, did you call your son Cricket? No, my, I called my <laughs> so Ian's Ian's nickname was he was Eeny Bean. Um, I don't know, just because that happened. I don't know. And um, what else did we call him? Oh, monkey because monkey cheeks because he had these awesome cheeks and he would latch on when we'd carry him everywhere. So, and um, yeah, she's got a million nicknames, but um, she couldn't say her name when she was learning to talk. So she would call herself Nana, and now that one has l- largely stuck. So, have you had a nickname that stuck over the course of your life? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Really? Are we? <laughs> it's really a question that I have typed on my page later in this episode, but we're no. there now. You know, you know, we could believe it. <laughs> my dad. Ca- oh, jeez. My dad called me Ducky, um, and I think it was partially because I had this, you know, I, I had this waddle when I was little, but then I was also this. Um, composure and chill where you could see it and paddling and perpetual motion underneath where you can't see it under the water. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that into a microphone with us today. Um, Okay. Besides symphony stuff, Mm -hmm. concerts, you've been to a lot of concerts in your life? Yes. Um, Not nearly as many as I would like, but um, I mean, Beach Boys a bunch of times. Um, well, I mean the the told the wet's bracket thing. I I went to two of them when they were on that tour. Um, the Pixies, the Posies. I mean, these are not. I, I hate stadium concerts. I went to go see you two um, with my no longer husband. I don't know how to nicely say that. Um, and we had nosebleed seats in Miami, and it was just miserable. Like, why even be there? Um, what other stadium shows have I seen like that? Oh, God. I saw Ben Folds before he was famous at Sapphire Supper Club in Orlando. And I – he was not – he was nowhere near famous. And I was still hanging out with musicians who were into musicians' music. And his name kept getting thrown around by the – I mean, I was in my 20s, but cool kids – so I was in Orlando when he happened to be at the at Sapphire Supper Club. Wow. What you just knew this guy was going I to be can, something. I, I've been to that. I've seen shows there. So yeah. Um, so I can picture it. And yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Oh. Yeah. And who else? I'm just trying to picture. So what I used to do was I had a guitar case um when I was in my teens that I would take the concert tickets I had and tape them to the outside of the guitar case. And so the outside of that case was covered. I think it's in my attic or one of my, I don't know, maybe Julian. I don't know. Somebody's got it. It couldn't have gone too far. Um, So I saw Bon Jovi. They were terrible. Um, And I only went because a bunch of my friends went. Um, cause every girl in the world had a crush on John Bon Jovi and I was like, ew, really? Why? Um, I saw a rat. I saw, oh my gosh, I saw Van Halen. They were amazing. Oh, God rest Eddie's soul. You, also a cellist, I believe. Um, who else did I see? Huh, White Snake. Um, REO Speedwagon. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Ario Speedwagon. Um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like pretty much everybody who came through Lee Civic Center when mm-hmm. it was still the place to go. Um, and then I liked going to smaller venues. Um, the Exit Inn in Nashville, I was there quite a few times in my 20s. Um, Janice Landing. Who did I say? Oh, Let's Active. I saw them there. I saw um, – oh, my God. No, I can't think of it. It's like kind of a lesser-known metal band. Oh, and I can picture them. It's escaping me. If I think of it, I'll tell you. Um, who else did I see there? Ziggy Marley. You've done pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And almost all of that has been in Florida, except for the few things I caught. Oh, wow. This is not a concert thing. This is a recording studio thing. And I, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, so <clears throat> I was... Dating a guy who was a um, professional musician and um, recording studio tech, and he had access to uh, – did some some contract work with RCA in Nashville. I was up there. I had written really, really basic, not worthy of anything tunes, and I was like, oh, cool. So can we get in and I can record them? And um, – so we did – we were going to use what's called spec time and it's basically when the studio is dark and that that's that could be 3 o'clock in the morning. He had the keys. We had the engineers and the techs to go in and, and do the recording. So we went – it was kind of late in the evening to um, – it's – I think it's called – they nicknamed it Little Pig, um, the studio. So we went and there was somebody recording a Christmas album – who he was horrendous. I mean, it sounded terrible. And I didn't realize that it was like a live session with somebody important. So you've got engineers at the desk and I'm there with my guys and I'm shooting my mouth off like an idiot going, my God, can that guy hear himself? That's, ugh, who's going to pay for that? So Kevin, the guy I was dating, grabs me by the arm and pulls me out. He goes, do you know who that is? I'm like, whoever he is, he sucks. He was like, that's George Jones. It's mm. uh, <laughs> I was like, I, who's George Jones? I, I knew nothing about country music at the time. He was like, he's like a huge country star. So I will thank you to keep your mouth shut while you're in there or we're not going to get to use the studio. And ultimately, we didn't end up getting to use wow. the studio. You shot, you put your foot in your mouth. Oops, sorry, man. Um, I'm gonna before we get to your third song, I'm gonna do a little time travel here and say the words salad days. <gasps> <laughs> okay, so you did you know Rich Deckard and I didn't know him, but I knew him. Okay. You know what I mean? I wasn't a regular at Salad Days, but I knew of Salad Days. Yo yeah. So um <clears throat> Rich Decker. It was all the riches. This Rich, was a club in the 80s. In the 80s a in small downtown club Fort Myers. In downtown Fort Myers. Yup. Oh, my. I certainly do remember Salad Days. And that was, that followed the Glitter Dome, which I don't know uh-huh, if you remember. Uh-huh. And um, I think for a brief time they called it, was it Rafferty's or whatever, where the Rafters, excuse me, where the Rafters Mall used to be. Uh-huh. Um, but Salad Days was like the last, like, Teen slash punk club, right? Before it was downtown, was it 
along 41 where Chuck E. Cheese used to be. That was Glitter Dome. That was Glitter Dome in the side there? Yeah. Yeah. That was like an odd little place. And so like, that go was back. The, yeah, go around back. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, that was right. And so the record bar kids, there mm-hmm. was um, a band. Oh, well, Marty Lamers, you remember yeah. him, the Social Whores? Eric, Bu- Eric Bigelow. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay, so now let's get on to your third song. Okay, uh, which is the Toad the Wet Sprocket song. Yes. Uh, you want to tell the story? Or you want to listen to it? Um, I could tell the story. So, um. I saw that they were coming to Florida, thought they had broken up, uh, knew they had broken up. Um, and so I was like, wow, they are getting the band back together. was jazzed about seeing them. I was still married at the time. And so um, my my now former husband and I got tickets and arranged for Ian Care. And um, yeah, right? Juliana was not born. No. Right. God, it all runs together. <laughs> no, wait, was she four? I'm trying to remember if I had both kids. In any event, we arranged for childcare, went and saw them first at House of Blues in Orlando. And yeah, I mean, I remember those tunes from the 80s. And so, of course, that all comes rushing back. And um, it was, a, it, it did what live music. It's supposed to do, and it, it you know it's just this visceral you know you have these flashbacks and you kind of feel like you're in that space again. So, um, and he was Glenn Phillips, the lead singer, was awesome at delivering that experience. So after the show, um, ordinarily these guys don't walk around outside and talk to people, but I think Glenn knew that he sort of needed to be his own PR guy. So he and the band they were walking around. I was chatting with all of them. Glenn and I started talking and I was asking him <clears throat> questions about like, how, so how did you guys reunite? What he, he was clearly, he, he had clearly gotten a raw deal from the label that, uh, that published his music. And so he got it back, re-recorded it so that he um, had the rights to those recordings and took the band back on the road to promote those, to sell the digitally remastered and or re-recorded whatever. Um, so I'm asking all these questions and he goes, oh, are, are you like a music attorney or an entertainment lawyer? And I said, no, dude, I work for an orchestra and I could just hear, you know, in addition to, to this walk down memory lane, just these sweeping strings behind some of the stuff you did and some, some punctuated with brass. And he was like, really? I said, yeah. Have you not ever listened to it in that context? He goes, I guess I haven't. So anyway, I gave him my card and um, didn't really expect to hear from him. And like two or three days later, once again, the magic of social media, he befriends me on Facebook. And so I was was not the executive director of the symphony at that point. I was marketing and development. Um, So I had no business pursuing um, this, this project. So I Without asking anybody's permission, I shoot him a message and I'm like, so if I could get the orchestra to like do a program with your big hits, would you do it? He goes, I don't know how, but yeah, why not? So we had just hired Nier Cabaretti and I told Nier about it. He's like, no one's going to know who those guys are. I'm like, you're Italian. You didn't grow up in the States. Of course you don't know who they are, You'll, but you'll love it. So he sent him recordings. He's like, I mean, it's good music. It's cool. So anyway, long story short, we had several meetings. Oh, and I had been um, 
I, I was very fortunate that the symphony's board saw the value in sending me to League of American Orchestras conferences to make connections and learn more about the industry and see how the bigger guys do it. And I did. I made some really awesome friends at those uh conventions. And one of them was this guy, Tim Behrens, who was an arranger and jazz guitarist for Cincinnati Pops. So we had uh, dinner one night and he was like, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. He knew who told the wet sprocket was. Um, We had a couple phone meetings um, near and really, I think it was mostly near and Tim who worked together because Glenn, I later learned, is not music literate. So he in in creating arrangements, he he wasn't able to participate in a way that I, I had originally envisioned. But the bottom line was we put on a killer concert. And I never that's that's because I heard all I want in the eighties. <laughs> it. <laughs> it was such a big song. That was a big song, Walk on the Ocean. Um, yeah, I mean, they had they had some pretty big hits. And and now we're like friends. And and you're putting on a concert with them. I put on a concert How with them. How long ago guy. was that? 20, I think it was 2016. Okay. I feel like I would have noticed that. One of my best friends, um, Milty, uh, he was a huge Toad fan. Okay. And so he was always in Toad. So I feel like I would have heard about that and I probably I probably shared it with him. I just don't remember. It was, well, it was a long time ago now, but. Um, but that was like last week. 2016? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it was. Um, no, because I remember, I think Glenn actually did an interview. With who would have been? Oh, it was John Davis. Okay. Um, so he did that, and then um, Charles did a thing with him. Um, no, it was it was a. But people were confused. So the attendance wasn't what I I envisioned there being like people scalping tickets in the parking lot. Like I just had. The, but um, I don't. A I guess <coughs> Toad wasn't still as famous as I had imagined, you know, because it was just such meaningful music to me. So, of course, it was meaningful to everybody who was a teenager in the 80s and 90s. Um, and I don't think people understood what we were doing because I didn't – that's the other thing is this wasn't just arrangements to Toad music and Glenn Phillips' new stuff. It was woven in with classical pieces that made artistic sense. And so – it was basically I was trying to do what Steve Hackman did, and I didn't know how to do it. Um, and he's the one that does like Beethoven, Coldplay, right. and yeah. Brahms, Radiohead. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So people were, I couldn't articulate the concept well enough to sell it to a broad enough audience. But we had like four hundred people show up, and um, and they loved it. And if I had the opportunity to do it the following year, that audience would have doubled. Guaranteed, because when I the same thing happened with Steve when he came here with a plug and play program, we didn't have to uh, write arrangements for anything. Um, the first show we did was Brahms Radiohead, and I think it was like four or five hundred people. And again, nobody got it. Um, and then the people who came and saw it were blown away. And then the audience doubled the following year. And then when I think we skipped a year. And then he came back with Mashapalooza. And, I mean, that was not part of a subscription. Um, that we started with an empty hall of 1,800 people and 1,100 people showed up for that. So 
that's a success story to me. Well, let's listen to this song. Sorry, I haven't heard yeah. this. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I haven't listened to this song in the longest time, and I know I'm going to know every word because it was everywhere. Um, this is All I Want by Toad the Wet Sprocket from the 1991 album Fear. Every freaking note. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can remember exactly. like the bass lines mm-hmm. and the stuff. I could just, my brain would just sing along to it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, so two quick stories about that, uh, that whole, the concert, that song. So when I was building this project was the time um, my ex-husband and I were becoming exes. And um, I was still really... I envisioned this being a temporary parting that we would get back together. This was the stress of child rearing and both of us just really hitting it hard in our careers. He was the managing editor of Florida Weekly at the time and um, I was trying to do what I was doing with the orchestra. And anyway, um, there was a song also by Toad and I almost chose it um, but I thought probably wasn't a good idea called Crowing. And um, lyrically, it was just kind of about um, trying to hang on to something um, that you, you can't. Um, you'd give him love and affection, but you couldn't keep him there. It was one of the the lines in the song. And I, we talked about which pieces to which pieces, which tunes to include on that that project. And that was one of them. And I went back and forth, and Glenn was like, "Don't." Don't, because and because Wadi came to the show, and um, I, I guess I, I figured it was going to go one of two ways. Either he would be there, and he, it would make him, but because we we listen to a lot of Toad, and we listen to a lot of music together in general. But um, he would hear, he he would experience that concert and see how amazing I was, and he would want to come home or not. And it was the latter, and he congratulated me. He sat across the auditorium, um, didn't want to sit with me. And, um, yeah, it was the right call not to include that tune. Mm. But um, bringing the whole thing full circle with being uh, a a string player in third grade, um, once again, through the magic of social media, I reconnected with my best friend from – God, from first grade, Caroline Park, who I went to Jarrettown Elementary School with. She was also a violinist and stuck with it and is really good, but she's not a professional musician. Um, And I told her about this concert and she was like, oh, I like Toad. I'll come down. I was like, what? So she really did. She flew down here. And I mean, during this whirlwind of a world premiere concert we put on wanted to hang out and tag along and there's pictures of that with my first grade best friend caroline um hanging out with me at this concert coming to rehearsal and dealing with bs backstage and it was super cool Hmm. the things that you can extrapolate from a song you know that's why we're here yeah um okay you ready for speed round sure do you do karaoke, and if so, what's your go-to song? No. <laughs> Never? I mean, I have. It's been – I like, I don't – I truly do not remember the last time I did karaoke. I think the last song I can remember doing karaoke to was Love Shack by the B-52s. Can you sing? 
I used to be able to sing a lot better. I, you're, yeah, I mean, you don't practice, you lose it. But yeah, I had a, I had a good voice and a good ear. Do you have any TV theme songs that you know the words to that you would sing with us? No, I'm not singing here today. Come on, guys. I take music that seriously. I'm not, I cannot embarrass my, I will, in many other ways, I will embarrass myself. But TV theme songs, I know. Come on, it was the 80s. You there, yeah, it. the best theme songs were in the <laughs> 80s. Are there any that you think you know the words to at least? And I did watch TV in the 80s. We could just, we could just um, do the instrumental version of the A-Team. <laughs> I did not watch the A-Team. <laughs> that was not a thing. Maybe the new boy in the neighborhood lives downstairs and it's understood. I don't even know what that is. That's Charles need... in Charge. Oh, oh no. I didn't watch Charles in Charge. Um, I've got a weird vibe from that guy. <laughs> what a weird vibe from that guy. Well, gosh, Scott yeah. Baio or yeah. Charles? Oh, okay. Scott Baio. Not my, not my cup of tea. Um, God. I'm trying to remember shows I watched that I'd remember the... I mean, honestly... Cheers. Uh... Yeah, I. but I don't think I have the... I mean, I, I don't have the words memorized... I was never like a big TV person, truthfully. I mean, when when my dad was around, PBS was on. That's it. I mean, we watch World you of War. You definitely have Sesame painted Street. a PBS vibe for you know your the words father. To, do you know the words to Sesame Street? <laughs> the Muppet <laughs> Show? Oh. <laughs> yes. Can we do the Muppet Show? No, come on. Please don't make me I know Mike knows the words to the Muppet Show. Ah, uh, the Muppet Show? I don't know. I I don't know if I... I mean, maybe once it got started. Oh, Amy <laughs> knows that. The the there's, there's that one. It's time to get things started. Okay, hold on. The Muppet, Muppet Show, show tonight. tonight. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's time to... It's the Muppet yes! Show. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's time to play the music. It's, it's time, time to light the lights. It's time to get things started on the Muppet Show tonight. Amy. It's time to put on makeup. It's time to dress up right. It's time to raise the curtains on a Muppet Show tonight. Okay, she did it. She did it, sort of. I think I heard a few words there. Yeah, no, I can't really. Um, oh, well, that's part of, part of why we're here. <laughs> oh, man, you didn't warn me. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter on? Ride of the Valkyries? That's my dad's ringtone. <laughs> yeah. On my phone. That's, nice. no, that's a good one. Um, if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind that was like a distilled you, what would it be? Like if a bartender made an Amy Ginsberg, what would it be? Something that you don't expect is going to be super strong, but it'll knock you on your ass <laughs> after you've had about your halfway in. I don't know. So, and, and that's actually stuff that I like is where you can't really, I, I do like wine, but when it comes to cocktails, it's got to, I can't Sneaky. taste it yeah. poisoning me. Yeah. <laughs> Not poisoning. Don't use that word. Um, I can't taste it. I don't want to taste it. Um Disarming me. There, that's a better word. <laughs> so what would it be? Like club soda mm-hmm. with a little bit of simple syrup mm-hmm. and um, gin or white tequila, Well, but a lot of it. And then I have like mint and cucumber that I squish around in there. And th- that sounds like a lot of work though, right? No. no. That's great. What's it called? 
And Amy Ginsberg. And Amy Ginsberg. (laughs) (laughs) The Valkyrie? Yeah, the Valkyrie. Yes. Um, If you had to guess, what song do you think you've listened to the most times in your life? Ooh. But everybody goes through phases. And so, well, obviously, the cricket song I listened to a lot. Um, But then there was a... There was a stretch, again, where Wadi and I were, like, taking things more seriously. And but and I think we were both like, do we want to do this? We don't want to do this. It was, so there was this on-again, off-again thing with him for a long time. And there was a point where I kept listening to Kiss Me Baby by the Beach Boys over and over. And that had relevance to the... You know, kiss a little bit, fight a little bit, kiss a little bit, fight a little bit. So there's another relatively recent one. Um, you know, that girl. <laughs> it's a singer. Uh, it's a girl. She a does music. No. Taylor Swift. No, Taylor Swift. <clears throat> hey. and she wow. did a, yeah. It took two tries. That's, That's what actually what I was going to say. <laughs> Taylor Swift and... That's what you're paying me for, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Now I'm going to my Spotify. Give me a second. Because I saved it there. I have this thing called Shazam Finds. And so every place I am, this is why. See, if music is playing, I can't focus on anything else. I have to listen to what's going on in the background. And I will stop what I'm doing and let food spoil in a shopping cart or whatever to hold up my phone and go, who is that? Um Oh, and you know what? I said, too, um, Lady May. That is such a sweet – so that's a country song, and I didn't used to like country music until the beginning of the pandemic, and I truly thought that the orchestra was going to have to close its doors. Uh, I mean, I I had no reason to exist if that was going to happen. And um, I've been living next door to this guy – for three years, and he thought my house was vacant or a vacation rental or something. And then somebody on the street told him that it was a mom and a daughter who lived there. And he said he saw me taking the trash out one time and said he didn't know if I was the mom or the daughter. So <laughs> not a pickup line or anything. But, um, yeah, he – we met just before everything shut down and um, – he was like, yeah, so what are you going to do when everything closes? And I was like, it's not going to close. What are you talking about? Like I was so delusional and believing that, you know, we're Mirko. We're going to be fine. And then the concert that I very intentionally programmed on my 50th birthday didn't happen. So he was like texting me songs that were – that he liked that mm. were meaningful to him and – um, I was listening to them, and one of them, I think, was Lady May by Ch- uh, Tyler Childers. And so I listened to that over and over. It was just just very, you know, because we – I have nothing in common with this guy next door. He's a sports nut. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a, he goes fishing. He's an outdoors guy. He is – and I say this in the kindest, sweetest sense of the word. He's a total redneck. Um, he doesn't understand my workaholic proclivities, my – fascination with classical arts with uh but um and so the song is basically about this guy who is simple and um just a regular dude um but i still enjoy your company and want to be with you and Mm. so yeah um damn it taylor swift and i want to say pete yorn but it's not 
Oh, doesn't matter. I listened to a lot when I heard it on Sh- Sh- no. Chris Stapleton. No, no, it's not a country guy. Ed Sheeran. No, lights. Hold on. Oh, and I listened to Rednecker than you a lot recently too. Chopin Nocturne in E flat major. That is just such a sweet romantic piece. Um, I am the luckiest by Ben Fold. Listen to that a lot, especially when Juliana was a baby. Oh my God! Come on, man. I can't. And I'm gonna think of it as soon as I get in my car. Because you won't be listening to music. No, I won't. Because <laughs> I'll get. I will cause a 92 car pileup on 75 if I listen to music. I'm so sorry. No, I do feel pressured to find this for you. And I've eaten up so much of your day. Don't worry about it. And I can hear it in my head. Um, Here, you can Shazam it. You should sing it to your Shazam. No, because no, then you'll record it. Colby Kylet? No, Colby Calais, no. Calais, sorry. Bon Iver? <gasps> bon Iver. Bon Iver? Yes. I like saying it your way. We don't, we don't, know, we don't know bands. <laughs> we just have a music podcast. <laughs> Exile. You, that's what I'm. Why here couldn't for, right? I? Because you know why? Because the it's not in the lyrics. Mm. Um, but again, that was like a, a breakup song that I listened to kind of a lot when a breakup happened. I I break up a lot. And you have songs. <laughs> a, yeah, and then there are soundtracks to the breakups. Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time. All of them, but no, for real, because it's never. You know how, like, when you hear something that, like I said, like, I'll stop in the middle of a store or pull over on 75 if somebody's got music on because I just have to. Um, So it's almost every song you hear is, this is going to sound so tacky, but it's like love at first sight. So every every song that really hits you, so every song, all the thousands of songs in my playlists and the CDs lining my walls and um, the records. Oh, my gosh. The the records that my dad gave me and my kids now find. Well, mostly Juliana. Ian doesn't send me anything. But in um, – I mean, he doesn't send me records because you can't. Um, okay, but now pick one. So he's like going to strangle me. I can feel his hands going. Um Okay, so one that I thought was super sweet, again, just because I have to pick one, um, Blue Ain't Your Color by that Australian country singer. Keith Urban? Keith Urban. Thank you. He's Australian? Yeah. Oh. Um, Uh, Amy? Yes. Could you suggest... For let's say we have listeners who are unfamiliar with classical really in any meaningful way, can you suggest one really accessible song that isn't Beethoven five? <laughs> that isn't Beethoven five, right? Yeah. Um, well, Schubert eight. Um, that's though people my age will recognize that from the Smurfs. Um, what else? You mean something that people will go, oh, I know that. Yeah. If, okay. So if people like when this podcast ends, if they're if you're like open YouTube and listen to this, people, what would you want them to try to maybe get them in? A million people have heard um, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Um, 
so they'll but they they probably don't know what it's called and i'm i'm slowly learning this and i'm like what do you mean you don't know that piece but people recognize it when you play it for them um and i know that opera is an acquired taste i truly enjoy it but everybody's heard the queen of the night aria um there's a copeland piece um rodeo by by copeland um, everybody, beef, what's for dinner? What's for exactly? <laughs> it is a good piece. It's a great piece. Um, yeah, I mean, just stuff that people would go, oh, yeah, I know that. I, I mean, Carmina Burana, please. That's like in every sports car commercial and every action movie. So, I mean, right at Valkyries, everybody's heard that. Everybody, so my daughter's ringtone is uh, Waltz of the Flowers by Tchaikovsky. Everybody knows that. Um, so, like Fantasia, basically. Okay, <laughs> fine. Like just yeah, all the Fantasia, Fantasia pieces. What's your ringtone? Ooh. I, for, I don't call myself. Well, oh, my, so my, my, um, if you call, yeah, hold on. I'll, you want me to turn my ring <laughs> That's around? That's such a good answer to that question. Well, because that's true. My, yeah. my, this is my, go ahead. I'm going to okay. make sure my volume's okay. on. Okay, uh, what's your number? 239. Well, maybe not on the show, hey. lady. <laughs> <laughs> Bach cello suite. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so that's my everybody else ringtone. Mine would be the the Vorjak New World. Yes. Sounds yes. like Jaws at the beginning. <laughs> um. Yeah. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet, what would you choose? That's a hard question. Just because she'd get what she wishes for, Pink-Haired Girl by Widows. Uh, the, I mean, then everybody would have heard her. Um, That'll work. Yeah. At least some of them would, you know, that would be a great marketing campaign. No kidding. <laughs> Because no. it would also probably make the news. Yes, yes. <laughs> My God, what is that? <laughs> um, uh, do you have a favorite band? I Once again, everybody goes through phases. Maybe the one you've spent the most time with. Uh, really, the, I, I keep going back to them, but the Beach Boys. Um, I mean, the wall of sound, that five-part harmony. Um, and, you know, some of it is fun and some of it is deep and, yeah. Um, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? She wouldn't believe it. What about it? Wouldn't she believe? She didn't know that what I do for work even exists. She would be shocked that kids were in the picture because I just kind of always knew. Like, I'm not parent material. Um, I... I guess that this feels kind of weird to answer on the radio. I don't know. Like I um, I didn't envision myself being anything great or special at fourteen. I didn't envision being a leader of any kind. I didn't envision being able to put any of my creativity into action. Um, and I had been told so many times in so many different ways that art and music is a road to nowhere. Um, I'm just really glad I got to proverbial say, proverbially say, hold my beer. 
and do what I'm doing and find where it's it's Lee County, it's not New York City, but I'm I think my 14 year old self would be like proud and shocked and be like, you did what? Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. It's time for you to recommend your three people. Oh, wow. Um, did you, did you talk to Molly Deckert at the Alliance yet? Yes. Oh, you did. Um, well, I do, though I don't know who that is. And that is the honest to God's truth. Um, want to recommend our new music director whenever we hire him or her. Understood. Because um, we had Nier on. You did have Nier on. He was so much fun. He was I adorable. enjoyed him so much. Good. <laughs> I miss him. I still, We stay in touch. Um, okay. So pr- pre, uh, pre- uh, proactively naming the new music director. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Um, I'm sure you've had Greg and Yovana in here, right, from Nice Guys? We've tried. If you can put a bug in their ear, we've tried. I just saw her two days ago. I just traded an email with Greg today. We're trying so hard to get them to come. Okay. Okay. I will. Um, We could do it live there. Like we could do a live event. We've done a live one there. We've done a live one there. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Like year one. Mm -hmm. I'm like legit. I have a a meeting with them this coming week. I will. That's on the agenda. Okay. Um. Do you want to talk to my daughter? She's pretty awesome. She's Absolutely. not famous enough. No, totally. Okay. We've done one with a teen. This will be our second teen edition. <gasps> so, yes, Juliana Padilla. That's done. Okay. I'm supposed to fact check you because we've done two with a teen because we also had uh, the father and son. Oh, right, 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 right. There's so many. I didn't know. I didn't know you could. Br- I totally would have. I bring her to everything. I, t- I took her to a League of American Orchestras conference when I did their fellowship program. I graduated from it. I was the only weirdo who brought a kid. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're like getting our certificates and all that. And my daughter and the CEO of the Nashville Symphony, who's one of my best friends, was in there. And one of the people in the program was an employee of the Nashville Symphony. She's like, why did you drag my boss in here? I'm going to cry. So, yeah. I... Well, now you'll each get your own episode. Cool. Okay. okay. Well, enough. you've done it. You got any final thoughts to leave us with? Thanks for putting up with our getting personal. Yeah, I'm I'm like a little scared of some of the stuff I said here and I'm hoping that you're judicious in your choices of what clips you use. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll I'll I'll try to keep the guardrails up for you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. This was fun and and therapeutic. Thank you. <laughs> We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer and host. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio up in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, I'm going back to my time at Fort Myers High School. Go Greenies. As anyone who's heard my episode, which is number 52, knows I spent a whole lot of time during those years oddly listening to music from the 1950s. My first song story used Chuck Berry's Roll Over Beethoven as a way into that time and place, but it was just one of many songs from that era that will always take me back. So today I'm going with Let the Good Times Roll by Shirley and Lee, which was also on one of the Time Life hits from the 50s tapes I had that I played over and over and over and over. Imagine a 16-year-old me in the 80s jamming this song in my rusted-out 1977 Ford LTD as I drove on to campus. Ah, those were the days. Keep listening.
Next time on Three Song Stories. I mean, you know, it... I didn't need those emotions in my day today, sir. I have to go to class after this. Yeah.